You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. All right, welcome to episode 16 of the College Info Geek Podcast. Today is November 4th, 2013. It is a Monday. I uh, just got back from Anime NebraskaCon, a really cool con in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and it was a really fun weekend. I got to play some magic with some random people, uh, met a lot of really cool people, and actually got to meet the person who voices Zuko on Avatar The Last Airbender, which is one of my favorite shows, so that was pretty cool. My girlfriend got to get her DVD signed, and it was a cool experience. But now it's Monday, and we're back into the work week, so I have another podcast coming right at you. Now, last week was kind of a theme week for me. I wanted to write about basically how to achieve your goals. So I wrote two posts. One post was um, called Be Mindful of Your Path. And it's just kind of this idea I've had for a long time. And the idea is this. It's really important for you as a student to think about your goals in terms of, you know, everything that goes into your life, not just your career goals, not just how much money you want to make, but everything where you want to live, you know, what kind of work culture you would want to be in what your work-life balance is going to be, maybe specific goals that you need to factor into your plan. If you want to learn a new language or travel to a new country, how does that factor into the job that you're going to get? Things like that. So I wrote that post. And then the next post I wrote was a list of 10 kind of bucket lists and impossible lists that I found on the internet from other really cool people. I've been collecting lists like this for quite a while. So I just wanted to give you guys some inspiration for creating your own lists maybe see some goals that you would like to do in your own life and add them to yours as well. So that was kind of the foundation for what leads into this week, which is this podcast. Um, Now to lead into this podcast, I need to talk about my most asked question that I get from readers. Now, if you've been reading College Info Geek for a long time, you know, one of the most integral parts of the site is the newsletter. And anyone who reads an article, you can go down to the bottom below every article and there's a sign up box and there's also a sign up box on the front page all over the place. Um, and what I do with this newsletter is I give away some free resources. One of those is the personal branding checklist. So if you're looking for a list of things you can do to make yourself more hireable, more visible, um, and you know, kind of build your personal brand, that's available to you if you sign up. And then I also send out notifications of new posts and podcasts just like this one. Um, but the other thing I do with the newsletter is for each person that signs up, I ask them a question right off the bat. What is your biggest goal in college or challenge? And is there anything I can do to help you with that? Now, the most cited question that I get from readers who answer this is, how can I motivate myself to do everything that I think I need to do in college? And that includes going to class, that includes doing homework, uh, part-time jobs, going to clubs, being an officer in organizations, Um, all that kind of personal branding stuff that you've been hearing from me, build a personal website, build a blog, you know, get a resume looked over and tailored for the jobs. You know, there's just a ton of things that you feel you have to do in order to achieve your goals. And if you have a lot of goals and you've thought about goals that don't just include your career goals, then you might have other things you want to do. Uh, my roommate Martin has to study three different languages every single week because his goal is to become a polyglot in addition to all these other things. So, I mean, the moral of it is that we as, as very ambitious people have a ton of diverse goals and things that we need to be doing to move forward on them. And the problem is that willpower is a limited resource. 
And it can be hard to motivate yourself to do all of these things and keep moving yourself forward in every area. So that most asked question is something that affects my life as well. And it probably affects you as well. Just trying to find that motivation, that willpower to keep yourself going, which is why I think this podcast episode is going to be really helpful for almost anyone who has this problem of motivation. So today on the College Info Geek podcast, I have a guest up. The guest is Tony Stubblebein. And Tony is the co-founder of an app called Lyft. Lyft is a really cool app that I've been using for quite a while. I stumbled across it sometime after I found Fitocracy, which helps you track your workout stats and motivates you to work out. Now, Lyft is kind of like that, but on a bigger scale. Lyft is concerned with helping you build habits. And it could be any habit you want. It just helps you keep yourself motivated to do things day by day. And then the way it does this is you create a profile. Um, it's totally free. And then each day or before each day, you can add habits to the list of things you'd like to do. So they could be small things like drink water every day, exercise every day, take your vitamins or, you know, bigger things like study language or anything related to kind of just the daily deliberate practice that gets you further in, you know, closer to your goals. And each day you open the Lyft app. It could be in a web browser at lyft.do is the URL. It's not a .com or anything, which is kind of weird, but kind of cool. Or they have an iOS app um, and soon they will have an Android app coming out soon. And each day you just do the habit. So drink a liter of water in the morning or take your vitamins or do half an hour of kanji practice in my case, and then check it off on the list. And then people can follow you and you can become friends with people and give props um, a lot like Fidocracy, but again, on a more general scale. So Lyft is a great app for helping you build habits, which is good because the things you do often enough that become habits really no longer take willpower in order to do. You don't really have to motivate yourself too much to brush your teeth in the morning or to make breakfast or whatever your habits are. You just kind of do them. They're part of your daily ritual. And that leaves the, that willpower totally you know, left untapped, which you can use later for the bigger goals in your life, the things that actually do take motivation. So that's why I really like Lyft. And um, Tony's going to talk about his process in creating the app and also his journey from, you know, college student and which he's actually a college student in Iowa, which is pretty cool. And moving from his from college to work to creating Lyft, which is pretty awesome. Now, there's another new feature of Lyft that I really like and I'm really excited about. And it's called plans. Now, the core function of Lyft is building habits. So it's built around the daily actions that really never change. Drink water, take your vitamins you know, read a book, whatever it is. It's kind of the same thing. Now plans is different because plans are written by community members and they are based around getting you through step-by-step goals um, or step-by-step, you know, sets of actions to reach an ultimate goal. So one that I saw was write a novel for the national novel writing month. And, you know, each day there's a different thing for you to do. And, Tony asked me, which we hear on this podcast, to write a plan of my own because we got into this idea of being mindful of your path and creating goals that span your entire life. So I created a plan called Create a Life Plan, which helps you to generate the goals that will affect every part of your life. And I'll link to that in the show notes for today's episode. But we'll talk about the plans feature a little bit more, and maybe it's something that you'd like to use as well. Because there are people out there who have already achieved the goals that you might want to achieve. And a lot of them probably are putting time into writing plans and helping you out. So it's an awesome feature and I will definitely be using it to achieve my goals in the future as well. Um, Other than that, 
I'm ready to get into this episode. So one last thing, if you want to get the show notes, as always, CIGpodcast.com, SIGpodcast.com is the URL that you want to go to. That will redirect you to the podcast page on the website. You'll see a listing of every episode. And for this one, um, obviously, episode 16 with Tony Stubblebine. Click on that and you'll find all the things we've linked to and mentioned, um, actions. And then you can find contact information where you can connect with Tony and myself as well. Um, so that's about it. Let's get into this interview with Lyft co-founder Tony Stubblebine. All right. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. Now, I've been using Lyft since uh, I think it was a little bit after I discovered Fidocracy and got really into that site, and I started to want to track my habits and get better at them. So I'm a huge fan of Lyft, and I listened to your podcast episode with Pat Flynn on the Smart Passive Income podcast and loved that episode, so I'm really glad to have you on the show here. Um, and you know, in our discussions before we started recording, you said you went to college in Iowa, which is really cool. So I'd like to kind of get into what your college experience was like and how that kind of translated to your first business and then what you're doing now. Sure. Well, I went to a very small college in Iowa, Grinnell College. It's a liberal arts school. And uh, I, had, I studied computer science there, but I had actually chosen it because I thought I had some need to have a, a broad, well-rounded education. And um, I actually just got to speak to a, a class there about this very topic and the thing that really stood out to me, like for some reason, the most important message that I wanted to share with them is that I was a terrible student. And, uh, and here I am, I've been a, a CEO since I was 28. And I was trying to like connect the dots for them. How do you go from terrible or mediocre student to overall pretty successful uh, adult? And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, some of the people there that heard me also were feeling like, oh, they were mediocre students and that there was some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, what, kind of, what kind of student were you? Um, I was the kind of student that wanted to make the most out of college 100%. So, yeah. I mean, like, I got a job on campus before I even started classes. And I was, like, really involved. But then as time went on, I stopped caring about classes. Right. And um, I always well, had this goal to like get a good GPA, but I stopped caring and you know, less and less was more in, invested in other projects. Yeah, my rule of thumb was that as long as I was writing code, it didn't matter if I was doing my homework. So if I if I was really into one of my computer science classes, I'd be really into it. But if I was really not into it, I'd just write code for myself. And I think this to me, there's this, been this really big switch where in the in like let's say two decades ago your career was really based on your resume and maybe your gpa was the first thing that you know kicked off your resume your school and your gpa but now the world i live in startups out here in san francisco and the bay area is everyone is judged off of a portfolio and almost no one actually looks at your resume like i can't even tell you what college everyone on my team went to Right. I just don't really? know. But I know every project that they were involved in because the project actually tells me a lot more. And so, you know, like what are the implications of that, that, you know, the world is moving to more of a portfolio system, uh, which I'll just tell you as a hiring manager is way it's just a way better judge of a oh, yeah. person. Um, you let the work speak for itself instead of, you know, tailoring a little line in a resume. 
Yeah. And I mean, frankly, if you're working in a career in a so on a career path that you actually enjoy, a portfolio is a lot more fun to put together than a resume. Like a resume just ser- seems like a a series of small lies. You know, like you're just you're trying <laughs> to like in one sentence say that you're a hot shot, right? Yeah. Portfolios are a lot more fun to put together because it actually represents work that you're proud of, and um, you don't have to, you know, be you know be as self promotional as you would in a in a resume but what that also means is there's a lot you get a lot more value out of cutting class and doing fun projects on your own than you used to and i don't know maybe i just feel lucky that um the world switched in time for me to graduate because otherwise i would have been out getting you know trying to take my I I graduate with a 2.98 which is just just shy of um good enough to get it you know a a mm-hmm. discount on your car insurance, right? And I really should have taken <laughs> yeah. one, you know, one class a little bit more seriously, and um, and it just, it, I was my first job. I was totally judged off of work that I had done outside of class, and uh, and that, you know that's how I got started. So I, I love hearing that that you hire all your people off of a uh, portfolio, and that like that's the main thing out there. Here in the Midwest, there's still a little bit more of the resume cover letter culture um it's going away but it's still still kind of prevalent but this is the this is the kind of thing i've been trying to tell my students the people that read my blog for the longest time is you know get a portfolio show off the actual work you do and it's awesome to hear some like real validation that like everyone out in the bay that's what they want to hear that's what they want to see from you they don't care about that right that's so cool um so I, you one question I had for you because this is to me when I'm giving advice to a to career advice to someone there's this kind of dividing line which is people who know what they want to do and people who don't right it's sort of this follow your passion if if you're talking to someone who knows what their passion is it's actually pretty straightforward to help them and but if they don't know what their passion is that's where I I usually get tripped up like, what do you do when you're giving advice to someone and they're not sure, you know, even what direction they want to go into? Well, for one, I, I don't say follow your passion. And I'm actually reading a book right now called So Good They Can't Ignore You. I'm not sure if you've heard of that book, but um, it's written by Cal Newport, who's a computer scientist, has his PhD from MIT. MIT and yep. he writes a blog called Study Hacks. And he's been kind of talking about this, this message, this idea for years of, hone in on one skill and get really good at it. And more often than not, if you get really good at one thing, the passion will kind of come up from you getting really good and learning more about that subject. And along the way, you gain this sort of career capital, he calls it, or essentially just the skills and the talent that you're going to need to make other people want to hire you and want to work with you. So honestly, I tell students, if you're in something that's mildly interesting to you, just buckle down and get really good at it and just go get experience. If you hate it, then you've, you've used that time to get the experience and you know, that's not what you want to do. But if you don't hate it and you start getting better at it and you, you know, you like what you do, then that might be a path you want to pursue and you've gotten valuable experience while doing it. That's a good hack. That's a good shortcut. Just, you know, what is, what is your, if you're not sure, what is your current strength? What is what looks promising, mm-hmm. and just run with that. Because honestly, the the act of getting good at something is actually a lot of fun, almost no matter what it is. Yep. 
Um, Cal, by the way, is like one of the first people that I had originally started reading in the world of uh, behavior design. I mean, I was really interested in a concept for a while called deliberate practice, and that kept leading mm-hmm. me to his advice. And uh, yeah, just like he was one of the really early bloggers in this space, I think. Yep. Yeah, that was the concept I was reading about today, actually. I'm listening to it on Audible, but the deliberate practice that helps like chess players who actually study the games and they get um, they actually you know look at techniques and do the hard work as opposed to just playing games. Those kind of things where the really hard, deliberate um, hours you put in are what really counts for your skills. Right. And that's a concept I want to relate into more. Um, so uh, one when we were emailing beforehand, you were interested in motivation. And mm-hmm. I was kind of curious why why it's probably the most asked question I get from people who subscribe to my email list or just send me an email um, because when I when someone subscribes to my list, I ask them a question in my autoresponder. You know, I say thanks for subscribing. Please let me know what your biggest goals are in college or if you have a problem and how can I how can I help you? Yeah. And the most common thing I get is how do I motivate myself to do all this stuff in college? I'm unmotivated to do my studies and to go look for a job and to build all these things that I know I should be building. So how do I do that? How do you do it? Um, and I, I tell them what I do, but it's just that's one of the most interesting things to me because it's such a commonly cited problem. Do you think that they're actually short on motivation or that they're trying to do too much or what they're trying to do or it's like lack of skill or something else? I think there are a lot of different problems. Um but the most common one that stands out to me and the one that affects me and affected me during college was just this overabundance of opportunities and things I wanted to do. And you run into like this thing they call Hicks Law where you can't you can't decide what you want to do because you have too many things. So the time required to decide on one thing is, is higher because you have so many opportunities. And I deal with this problem every single day. And I think that's one of the main things college students have to deal with because there's so much you could be doing and you have to be doing Right. You know, the the thing that resonated for me is that for a long time, I actually thought I was unmotivated, lazy, and apathetic. And it, it actually is not till about midway through high school when I got really sucked into a sport. I was a track and cross-country runner. That I realized it, I wasn't actually lazy. I was just disinterested. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't in, like, I, I wasn't without motivation i was just being asked to do something that i didn't care about and i didn't see the value in and as soon as i got into something that i cared about turned out i was actually one of the most motivated people there's been many summers where i've run more miles than anyone else on my team right and so that's like the opposite of how the self perception i had of myself as a student and so it's actually you know, later in life, as we've started to get into the science of behavior design, I have there's two things that I think a lot about when it comes to motivation is, one, is it that you just don't want to do this and this isn't a thing that you should even be doing, right? Or B, is it that um, you have uh, already expended your motivation budget? So... There was a, about a year ago, maybe two years ago now, there was a great article in the New York Times about decision fatigue. And it was this idea that actually physically there's only 
so many decisions your brain can make in a day. Mm-hmm. And it kind of highlighted the value of having uh, routines and habits because that takes decisions out of your day. Like you're always go- like for a lot of people, they're always going to brush their teeth because it's so habitual. But a lot of other things that they try and do around that exact same time, they just they're exhausted. They're out of out of decisions. And so like right now as a CEO, like I'm right back, like my life is just as hectic as it was in college because there's so many things for me to do. And then if I pay attention to all of those things, then suddenly I have that, like, as you were describing, in order to do one thing, I have to decide, make 10 decisions to not do these other 10 things. And then like my, my decision fatigue is just going ramping up throughout the whole day until I've met you know, it's basically exceeded my budget for the day. And so all of my productivity hacks are about reducing decision fatigue. And that's essentially, you know, I would consider it. um, I used to think if I couldn't, when I I used to experience it, that if I reached the point of decision fatigue, that I no longer had motivation. And really, so now when I think in that framework, I think in terms of a motivation budget, and I just be, want to be very cautious about what I spend it on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Definitely. Uh, I'm reading a book by Daniel Kahneman right now called Thinking Fast and Slow. Right. And he calls that ego depletion, yep. which I think is basically the same concept where it's just yep. like one one decision that's hard to make reduces your ability to make the next hard decision. So the, the kids that had to make a hard decision to not eat the cookies do worse in the math test. Right. That kind of thing. And it actually, it, so it's, it is, it's a super important concept, but it's actually, it goes, it's a little bit more expansive than that, in that it's not just hard decisions, it's little decisions, mm. right? And, um, you know, like, let's say you're traveling and uh, it's time to eat lunch. It's not a hard decision that you're going to eat lunch, but then suddenly you have to decide where to eat lunch. Mm-hmm. You walk out of a hotel and there's like 10 places right there. It's not hard to go to one of those places, but then suddenly you have you know a several other decisions that don't normally exist in your day-to-day. Yep. And so all of those little decisions matter, uh, you know, matter. And they're actually, um, yeah, like I think to- definitely worth paying attention to. And so you're a student, you're thrown into this situation where everything is new at the beginning. Um, you ha- you're given a lot more decisions to make because a lot of structure that you used to have, maybe from your family or that you'd built up over time, living in the same you know house for a long time, like all of that stuff went away. And now they're throwing you know way more opportunities, and a lot of those opportunities are you know, a lot more compelling, um, you know, staying up all night, uh, <laughs> is, uh, I definitely had some of that, you know, way more compelling than maybe you had in high school. So, uh, that, it is one of my favorite frameworks for, uh, when you're thinking about kind of the science of behavior design. Mm-hmm. No, I'm remembering, is there a construction site behind you or something? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no worries. Just, <laughs> um, I'm remembering that, that when I first got into college, one of the things that helped me to ease on that decision fatigue was getting a part-time job because it kind of like allowed me to bring a little bit of the structure from high school with me. There was something I had to do and I had to schedule it and it really made everything else revolve around it. 
Right. And it was very much a necessity to schedule my time well instead of a decision I had to consciously make as opposed to just doing whatever I wanted. Um, right. Did you did you have a similar experience in college? Did you have a job or did you just study and have to m- motivate yourself? With, um... I did have jobs. I, you know, The number one thing for me was just to be on a team. Mm. So then it's like you have practice and that creates a structure around your day. But honestly, I actually didn't get good at managing my own um, – my own time until I started a company. And it's really at that point where I cared so much about the success of that company. And I saw so much about how, you know, my own contributions to it mattered that I got much more serious about managing my own time and being really strong at that. Cool. So let's talk about the transition from college to the company. Did you start building your first company straight out of college or did you get a job first? No, absolutely not. This is I think this is really important too cuz you hear about like the Zuckerbergs of the world who like went straight from college to billionaire, right? Like mm-hmm. that that's a great story, good for him. And uh I, you know, honestly for most people it is more of a journey than that. And one of our investors who's also one of the Twitter co-founders, he has this phrase, uh it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. And you know, part of what we do at Lyft is expose the steps that it takes to become really good at something. And so I actually, for this company that I started right now, that I'm running right now, Lyft, I raised money for it originally over coffee. I didn't have a pitch deck. I didn't have anything other than an idea and a friend. And so I, you know, I told my friend about this idea and he's like, yeah, I'm really into it. Let's raise money. And so that sounds like, you know, like, wow, like that's so easy. But the reality is that I had worked in tech for 10 years before that coffee. And I had worked for with for him, you know, five years prior and been a friend and advisor for, you know, for years. And so my actual path, you know, from college to, uh, you know, being able to casually raise money for a company involved a lot of steps, right? Mm-hmm. Involved getting a job, you know, getting promoted at that job, getting a better job, getting promoted again, getting a, using that to get um, a pretty great job at a startup, doing you know good work in a chaotic startup situation, starting a, a a different company for myself and bootstrapping that out of out of my own uh, money, and uh, yeah, I even wrote a book on programming in the middle there, right? Like I did a lot of work in between and. I always like to share that with, you know, prospective entrepreneurs who they seem like it seems like they graduate and they think, okay, how do I get funded? And it's like, well, apparently some people are getting funded right out of college. But alternatively, if you don't get funded, there's this other path, which is just get really good at what you do and work for other smart people and with other smart people. And, you know, then the rest just kind of takes care of itself. Right. I think that's a good thing to note that if you decide to go the route of getting a job right after college, you're not necessarily stuck in that that track forever. Because as long as you are deliberately trying to get better, you're going to open up opportunities for yourself, which could include building a business or, in your case, moving to uh, work to a start for the startup. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So what was the uh, what was the job you got out of college? Uh, I I went, I was a web developer at MasterCard in St. Louis, 
And this is, I was actually hired essentially off of my portfolio because they mm. wanted, they wanted me to have three specific skills and they were kind of esoteric, but it turned out that on my, in my spare time before I graduated, I'd been building this, a website for someone who was associated with the college and I did it with those three specific skills. And so when we interviewed, I was able to say, yes, I've done that. Let me explain. Yes, I've done that. Let me explain. And my actual academic performance didn't come up at all. And so my experience, you know, I graduated in 2000. Uh, yeah, my like right from the get go is actually my side projects that mattered and got me you know, off and running. That is awesome to hear. <laughs> yeah. It's just like validation for, yeah. It's so much easier now too, right? Like that was, that was a strange time in 2000, you know, the internet's just coming up, but you know, like your side project for a lot of people could be as simple as a blog, right? Mm -hmm. It could be just like, you know, you can set yourself apart by just saying like you're thoughtful and passionate and you really care because I, I get resumes all the time for people that are just looking for a job. Right. And how do I find the ones that think of this as a calling? Right. If they write a blog, then I, I just think of them as a different type of person and they still have to be good enough to do the job. But like I'm much more inclined to actually sp- take the time to evaluate that if I know for certain that they're passionate about, you know, whatever type of job that they're looking for. And so, you know, a, a portfolio it could be it could be a blog, it could be projects, just anything you can point to online. Um, I just think it's gotten way easier for people. Right. That's one of the main reasons I think that every single student should have their own blog, or I mean, at least a personal website. But a blog is really helpful because you can kind of put out there what you're interested in and show your progression, show what you're learning, and that you're deliberately trying to learn things. And right. it's just so accessible to anyone who might want to consider you as a, you know, a hire. Can I, can I share this, uh, the secret that it was one of the inflection points in my own career is I was a programmer and I just was really loving programming. I just thought it's, that my whole life is, I might be a programmer, I'm just going to get s- smarter and smarter and, you know, mathier and mathier and just like really be a great programmer. And one of my, bosses took me out to lunch and he said you know look i've been in silicon valley for a long time and let me just share with you this observation which is if you can write code and speak english you are going to end up in leadership and i was like what do you mean leaders you mean like management and he's like yes i'm like well you know i don't want to be in management i really like writing code why would i want to manage people and but actually that observation is entirely true that when you when you compare a skill, you want to be good at your craft with communication ability of any sort. I mean, your listeners are listening to me right now, and they can evaluate for themselves to what degree I can speak English. But I'm excited to communicate with people, and that actually sets me apart from from a lot of other people. And so that's why I agree I agree with you. Writing a blog is this great skill because it, it shows that not only are you passionate, but you like to communicate with people. And that, like over and over again, I see that you have I see people that are good at their job and people that are 
that are that are equally good and who can make the people around them better. Um, there's another thing I say to people too that kind of is in the same vein, which is, you know, at work, it is not enough to be right. You also have to convince the people around you that you're right. And that's why communication matters so much. I see a lot of really smart people, they get to work and, they, and they're like complaining, like, I told them it was a bad idea, right? And it's like, and so they're putting, placing that blame on their boss or the people around them. And really, it's just, it's a weakness of, them, of their own skill set that they weren't able to convince the people around them that they were right. And uh, I mean, that's why I went to Grinnell, you know, because it was a well-rounded school. I wanted to, I wanted to graduate being able to write. And uh, I, I just think that's such a big support for your advice to start a blog. Mm-hmm. I, I love people. I love employees that are good communicators. Exactly. Um, when I think of like what I would go back to school for if I wanted to go back to school, um, one of the majors that sticks out is acting because you just, you learn, like you get stage training, you learn how to, how to present yourself in all manner of types of situations and how to communicate to all different types of people. And I think that kind of major would actually help a lot in any situation, really. I agree with you. Did you know, uh, the current CEO of Twitter was, uh, um, has an improv background. Really? Right, and I I totally get how that how that works because as a CEO you're put on the spot, people are talking to you, and you have to be able to go with it, and uh, and just like so much of that um, being able to ad lib and uh, work extemporaneously with people that uh, comes up in this job. So uh, there's an example. You're right. Yeah, I'm not sure how uh, how big of a fantasy reader you are, but. I read a book. I read a book called The Name of the Wind recently, and there's just all these situations where the main character uses this stage training and acting training that he got as a kid to his benefit in all sorts of academic and social situations. And it's just like that's that's something that would actually work in the real world. You know, it's very very useful. So it's cool to hear that the Twitter CEO was actually an improv guy. And I know a yeah. few people who are in the improv group on campus and have totally unrelated majors, like architecture and IT. And I think it's really going to help them out as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's talk about Lyft because um, yeah. Lyft is an awesome app and I want people to use it. I use it myself. I'm not incredibly digil- diligent with it, which I kind of kick myself about. Um, but it's really great for building, at least for me, I use it to build the small habits that I don't usually do as often as I'd like, drinking enough water and things like that. So what gave you the idea to create this app? Well, there's two things. One, the observation that everyone has unfulfilled ambitions and that if we could create some sort of support system, we could essentially allow everybody to train themselves to be superhuman according to whatever definition of superhuman that they had. And, you know, like I want to be a great CEO and I will do almost anything it takes, but I don't always know what does it take. Um, and then the other is that I'm just permanently interested in successful people of any walk of life. I mean, from sports to business to artists to musicians, what, what, how did they get there? And, you know, if you've read like the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, right, it's like, uh, you know, he goes into it and he, I think he's pretty accurate that 
they got there through deliberate practice, through working at it. You know, like, why was Mozart a music prodigy? Because his dad was a music teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, if your parents aren't music teachers, if you don't know any music teachers, you have to just go be like turn yourself into a music prodigy he had this incredible advantage and that advantage was he could practice more and better than any other kid around him and so at a young age he was very successful i think the same about tiger woods like it's not that tiger woods is special it's that his dad is special like that you know he had an ambitious great golf coach as a parent and his dad got him started very early and that meant that Tiger was always ahead of the curve, always had access to the best coaches his whole life. And so, yes, he's very passionate about golf, but also he put in the work in a way that's actually significantly different from the way that most people put in their work. Hmm. So uh, Lyft is an app to help you achieve your goals. And uh, what, we, what we're thinking of it uh, is as a like almost having a coach in your uh, in your phone that's like constantly training you to be better. And when we say better, it could mean from something really big to something really small. So you said to drink more water, which is actually for me plays a bit, very big role in my energy levels. Right? If if I'm not drinking water, then you know sometimes my body will tell me I'm hungry, but I'm really actually just dehydrated, and I'll start to zone out. So like a little habit like that can play a really big role in your life. But we're also, we have, you know, coaching plans that range from, you know, run your first marathon to um, how to be more extroverted to like uh, how to be a better public speaker that actually walk you through the things you need to do to train yourself to be, um, to be better. So that's the new feature that just came out, right? The plans feature? Yeah. So um, we just started rolling this out. We think that we're going to have uh, hundreds, if not thousands of them shortly, Uh, especially if you think about the habit stuff we already have. Um, You could even potentially say that we're going to have 100,000 plans uh, by January 1st. And, you know, it's really when we say put a coach in your phone, everything that we've already talked about around behavior design like how how to manage your motivation budget, how to be more motivated, how to make it easier on yourself so you have uh, so you're actually doing less to deplete your motivational budget. Some stuff from positive psychology, uh, positive reinforcement, some mindfulness work, some belief change work. All of this, we we built a very simple system that's social, and we see all of these things at play. And then on top of it, with the coaching plans, we can actually tell you explicitly, this is what you should do to be better. And uh, I mean, that's really exciting for me because I feel like in the old, in the current world, if you're passionate about something, you have to be really lucky to be to know who is you know the coach or mentor who can guide you towards you know excellence. And if you don't have that person then you're kind of out of luck. And we think we can make that sort of expertise available for, you know, hundreds of thousands of goals and, you know, for hundreds of millions of people. I really like that idea um, because the way that I use Lyft in the past was just for 
kind of the small daily habits that you need to do every day, but don't necessarily progress. Like, you know, brush your teeth and drink water and those kind of things, go for a walk. Um, but it was never set up for the kind of goals that have progressive steps that are different. And I would always have to look for other systems of breaking down bigger goals that have different steps. So, so this what, new plans feature is great. So what are some of the things that you're trying to train yourself in? I like that word progressive. That's the word we use a lot. Mm-hmm. So one of my big goals right now is learning Japanese. And I have several different tools that I use to learn Japanese. I have a kanji learning tool that um, gives me new lessons every day and reviews I have to go through, kind of like a spaced repetition system. And then a textbook that I have to go through. And um, YouTube videos that I try to watch to learn. And speaking exercises. And then we have a whiteboard on the fridge we try to write a new sentence in Japanese every day and I have a Japanese Twitter account. So all these different things. And for Lyft, it's just study Japanese. Like it's a habit. And I'll check that off if I do anything. But it can get to the point where it's very easy to just do one thing. Just, okay, I did my kanji reviews. I studied for the day. That's well and good. I reviewed some things, but I haven't really progressed in my textbook or worked on sentence structure. And it's easy to get into this routine of doing only one thing, like the easiest or most you know fun study task instead of progressing on the entire track that I've set for myself. So I love this because it's kind of, to me, the differentiation. There's a lot of lesson plans available. So your textbook is full of lesson plans. Here's how to learn Japanese. But I want you to be able to speak Japanese, to be actively engaged in Japanese culture, right? And so like I could imagine a plan on left, like... Um, practice Japanese on Twitter. I, I didn't actually, that's a great idea. It never occurred to me that you would, someone learn, learning a foreign language would set up a foreign language Twitter account for themselves. But it, you know, it could be, you know, reach out to a Japanese celebrity. It could be, mm-hmm. um, you know, like participate in a Japanese hashtag, like day three, you know, uh, um, you know, just like a series of each day, engage on Twitter in Japanese in some way. And so then you have this, you're actually using it. And to me, when I see someone doing the, the activities, I see them getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, what about for your listeners? Like what are, what are the sorts of ways that you would like to see them trained or coached? I really think it depends on their goals. Um, actually, that, that kind of cycles around to, one of the biggest things that I want to help my readers with is just learning how to set goals that are uh, broad enough to cover your entire life. Because I know a lot of college students that come into college and they're they're very unsure of what they want to do. So their goal is either get a job and that's it. Yeah. Or it's it's get a job in some specific field that's a little more thought out. But beyond that, they don't really think of where do I want to live or what kind of environment would I want to work in? Do I want to work in a startup? Do I want to be able to telecommute? Like all these things that really affect your life big time. Um, a lot of people don't think of them. They just think of, I want to be this or I want to just have enough money to live. And so I guess um, that's one big topic that I want to help people really think about and learn to get good at, which is setting goals and learning how to achieve them. Specifically. What do you think? the first tiny step for them would be? I mean, I think the first step is just to sit down and write out a bunch of things in a completely unstructured format that you would like to do. And it's really just kind of like a brain dump. So 
what do I want to work? You know, what, what job would I want to have? Um, what kind of environment do I want to work in? Where do I want to live? And then specific things. Do I want to learn a language? Do I want to travel and climb a big mountain someday? On my side, I have this thing called the impossible list, which I totally stole from Joel Runyon. Um, but it's just this giant list of goals that kind of affect every part of my life. And I use that as a constantly evolving list that sort of guides me um, into what I should be doing every day. And yeah. maybe that could be one task, create an impossible list or just, you know, some sort of list that you are actively working on, not a bucket list that's just put off into the future and put it on your blog or don't make it public if you don't want to, but make right. it. I'd love to see something like that. That'd be a really good one. And that's a great example of what we're looking for is like here, you know, you're, you're an expert, actually. You've been thinking about this a lot. You've been interviewing people about it. You've been talking to all these people. You've been running your own blog on it. And so how do you share your expertise in a way that could coach other people towards this? Because, you know, right now without someone like you, someone just kind of is sitting on their couch feeling like a little overwhelmed. Like they know they need to get a job, but they're not sure what are the other things they should know. And if you have a coach uh, walking them through those steps, and you know, a big part of Lyft is actually a community going through that those same steps with you, then you know we can take a college student that feels lost and make them, you know, really one of the most self-aware you know college graduates in the world. And, uh, you know, they will really stand out because they're obviously they're not alone. Like your average college student, like a lot of college students feel this way. Probably yep. all of them nearly. I know I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and even I graduated feeling like I knew what I wanted to do. But it's really an, it's an evolving thing. And almost every year I clarify something about it. You know, what is important to me? And, and, you know, sometimes I drop something, sometimes I just get a lot more clear. I thought I was going to be a programmer my whole life. And, you know, I ended up an entrepreneur and it just hadn't even occurred to me Mm -hmm. when, um, when I, when I left college. Yeah. I, when I was in college, um, freshman, sophomore, up until junior year, I wanted to be like a systems administrator and Right. basically be the guy in the IT basement running all the computers until I went out and did an internship in IT and kind of got firsthand experience. And now here I am doing a podcast and being a writer for a living. So right. it, things things come up and they change and you'll get on a path that you never even imagined. But Yeah, you're, you're a media mogul now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some, sort of, some sort of small time one anyway. Um, but I think it's important through it all to just have a foundation of goals because it's a lot easier to tweak a goal you've already written down or add something to a list than it is to just have this daunting task of making the list you know you know itself when you're in the middle of it it's great to have a starting point to build off of um well maybe we can sucker you into actually writing that plan i think we would <laughs> like we would be excited to have it we would be we would feature it and i think it would be you know good it definitely be good for your, for your audience Cool. I will definitely do that then. All right. We'll follow up offline on that. (laughs) Awesome. Um, uh, What else should we talk about? What else should we talk about? What about about happiness? That's a a good thing as well, yeah. Do you guys think about that? Um, I do, certainly. 
it's, I mean, it's, it's really intrinsically tied into your goals and how close you're getting to them. And, um, also just really into the work you're doing. So I, I think that's one of the main things that I try to help people think about and think about myself when, when creating goals is, is this going to make me happy or is it just kind of, um, an extrapolation of what other people have told me, you know, or said I should do or give me advice on. So what am I actually going to like to do? You know, I have this experience. I'm now, you know, in my thirties and I'm pretty close with a lot of my high school friends. And in high school, we'd all gone to a magnet high school in San Francisco, which means, you know, it, it pulled the smartest middle school kids, which just seems like a ridiculous statement. Like even the concept <laughs> of a smart middle school kid. But anyways, it, it pulled, uh, middle school kids who tested well and took, um, uh, you know, middle school homework seriously into one school. And, you know, like everyone is thinking like is really ambitious, is hardworking, studies hard, thinks they're great, go to a great school and just like work, 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 work. And the thing I really noticed about a lot of my friends is that they were kind of miserable in their 20s. And it's like and you'd look at them and not understand why, because they'd, you know, they'd gone to an Ivy League, they'd they, you know, they graduated, like even gone to Harvard Law. And so here they're a Harvard Law educated lawyer. Like, you know, that is su- it's so it's such a big accomplishment. You think they'd be really happy with their lives. But then what they realized is they'd worked all their life to achieve something that they weren't really that interested in. And so it's actually by the time they hit 30, they started to understand what actually made them happy. They started to switch jobs into roles that actually that fit more who they were and one of the fun things for me about being friends with them now is to see them all very happy and this is something i'm not sure i'm not sure but i'm definitely interested in how can you learn what makes you happy earlier in life but more importantly how can you trust it Right. Mm-hmm. If everyone is telling you you need to go to an Ivy League or you need to go to an Ivy League for grad school and you're thinking, well, I don't really even like school. What I really like is, you know, playing music. Then, you know, how do you evaluate that? What do you do there? And uh, uh, I just I, you know, I think that's really interesting. And anything, anyone who's good at that, I'm interested in it. Mm-hmm. Like what what makes you what makes what's most fulfilling about your job right now um probably the most fulfilling thing is when i get emails from people telling me that i've helped them you know in a specific way just hearing feedback is just amazing um i think the thing that sticks out the most to me is sophomore year i had been running my blog for like six months and i get a random call from some dad in ohio who wanted me to give uh advice to his son on what school to go to and I'm like, I'm just like a sophomore and I, what, <laughs> you're calling me randomly? That was like the coolest thing that that's happened I and mean, that sticks out of my mind in terms of feedback, but just hearing that kind of thing and knowing that I'm helping students out, especially in those three key areas that I've outlined in my start page, um, productivity and learning and the personal branding, getting the job you want and paying off student debt for, for real big time. Yeah, there's definitely a while where I wondered if money was what was going to make me happy and, you know, I think there are people are suspicious both ways. You know, it, like certainly uh, I'm not turning it down. But on the other hand, now it's that in, I'm in my go ahead. Oh, it was, it's in the, it's really in the middle. I would say money 
can't necessarily make you super happy, but the lack of it can make you very unhappy. Exactly right. That's the way to look at it. You, you want to be comfortable. This is why you try and get out of debt as soon as possible if you're graduating with debt. Mm-hmm. This is why you know when you buy your first car, it's not an opportunity to get into like even deeper debt. Like once you get into debt, you get really locked in. Yeah. But um, the you know the thing that I that I really switched on is that I had started a company before this. And I worked on it for four years. And the first three years were really, really difficult and really lean. We made almost no money. But I just I didn't want to see it fail. So I was going to make it succeed at any cost. And by year four, suddenly it became very profitable to the point. And also, I didn't have to work very hard because I'd hired people who did most of the work on my behalf. So in year four, I was basically working on it a day a week, and I was splitting my time between San Francisco and New York, basically two of the most expensive cities in the country. So like from a financial perspective, as an entrepreneur, I'd succeeded because I had you know plenty of money and plenty of leisure time. But... As I evaluated that company, I realized that actually I really enjoyed working. My favorite part of the company was, like you say, the feedback that you get. Mm-hmm. But I did; it wasn't my life's passion. And I didn't, you know, once I realized I wanted to work more, I didn't see why I would want to continue to invest my own time in that company. And so when I when I decided to start Lyft, a lot of it was just that lesson that I want to find something that has the biggest possible impact on the world and that is the best possible match for who I am, who I am and what I'm interested in and you know that was a big realization for me uh because you know for the 4 years that I was running that last company I you know, I was just dying for that time when I could have leisure and some you know disposable income and then once I got there it was just I was completely nonplussed I was yeah. like, I was ready to move on immediately it's one of the things I've learned about having money uh, is once you have it, if you are not passionate about something that you're building and helping people with, that leisure time can be very expensive. And I, I realized when I caught myself researching the difference between uh, thread counts on sheets, I needed to change what I was doing because obviously I wasn't passionate enough about something to the point where I was looking for ways to spend my money. That's exactly right. I love that story. I I tell a different version of it, but I I think it is such a funny observation that, you know, when you don't love what you're doing, you you just, everyone gets sucked into retail therapy in some form. Mm -hmm. Remember, I was in a job, I wasn't, I was thinking about leaving and I hadn't got up the nerve yet. And so I spent like literally three months researching high definition TVs. And I like, I ended up with a great TV. But now, like last time I needed to buy a TV, I walked into a Best Buy. I stared at a couple of them for like 10 minutes. (laughs) Then I walked out with a TV. And because like life's too short to be the world's expert in home appliances. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless that's your real true passion. But for me, um, that isn't what I wanted to do. So, yeah. uh, And you could just absolutely, the happier I am, the less money I spend because. You know, I have actual, you know, authentic uh, pursuits now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, definitely, like, there are some hobbies and things you can buy that can make you happy and they're they're very fun. Um, you know, certain things that I've bought for leisure only have brought me a lot of happiness. But a lot of those expensive things, like you said, like getting the best possible model of TV or computer monitor, it's it's you get sucked into it 
when you're doing it and then you get it and you start getting into something like Lyft for you or like writing a brand new blog post that I'm super yeah. pumped up for me and you realize like it didn't actually matter that the uh, refresh rate on this TV is better than the other one I looked at and that kind nope. of thing. <laughs> but although, you know, the there are a couple of things that I spend money on that I think really do pay off and the two that, um, well, it's really three. Uh, someone to clean your house, wash and fold laundry, and three, um, uh, a personal assistant for scheduling. Okay. Right? Like, like if you're really interested in investing in your own life and career, as soon as you can afford those things, like go and get them, right? Like basically if you're a career minded, doing your own laundry, cleaning your own house and scheduling your own meetings are just distractions and they're things that are really easy to outsource. So that that's a pretty common piece of advice. There's a lot of people that like to outsource big chunks of their lives. And those are basically the three, um, the three most accessible and most affordable. Like I, I have a friend, I can't remember the name of the service, but he actually, he's got a virtual assistant who does all of his scheduling and it's like $50 a month. Hmm. Right. Which is pretty like if you're an entrepreneur, you're having a lot of meetings and and that that time spent scheduling can be a, a big chunk of your life. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've thought about in the past, you know, getting a virtual assistant and I could never justify to myself what I would use them for. I mean, I guess they could do research for me or or. Uh, schedule meetings but i'm just so used to doing everything myself in college and maybe this will change as i get older but it's very hard for me to think about um having somebody else schedule my meetings and maybe uh, you probably have a lot more meetings than i do so that's probably part of the reason um well right this is one of my only scheduled meetings for the week so oh well then that's not as bad but (laughs) as you get get more um do you do your own laundry yes and so there's there's a counterpoint to what you said because I do understand the uh, benefit to having some of those like mindless tasks taken care of for you. Um, there's a blogger named Yaro Sterik who talks about this technique he uses for getting into the working mode, it, which is just do the dishes because a low level mindless task that it's easy to motivate yourself to do can kind of get you into the work mode and right. kind of like prime your brain for work. And I don't know if this works for everyone, but for me, the act of like getting up in the morning and washing my dishes and maybe doing laundry if I have to actually does kind of prime my brain to get into that work mode and I can easily sit down and start working. Whereas if I just wake up and try to sit down and start going into work, I'm probably going to go to Reddit or get distracted. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good productivity hack. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, absolutely. Don't get rid of your productivity hacks. <laughs> that's not what I'm suggesting at all. Yeah. It's, it's really just like you said, um, everyone's different and they the behavioral science is is such a difficult field to tap into because everyone is different and i think that some people if you eliminate all the non-needed you know just totally Pareto principle of their lives they're going to be better off whereas some people need to have these littler things to kind of get them in the mood to work and i think i'm in the latter camp at least at this point all right right on know yourself Mm -hmm. that's an important part of it for sure so did did was that a good enough explanation of Lyft for a, we? Uh, well, I guess we didn't actually that? talk about what what it actually does, but it's really Ooh, simple. We 
So, I mean, it's just yeah. kind of like you you make yourself a list of habits, and there's all these habits, and then you check them off every day. Right. And with the coaching plans, I mean, really, I, w- I would call them goals, right? Mm-hmm. That that it could your goal could be to pick up a habit, which is actually a great, going back to the you know motivation budget, it's a great way to preserve that budget. Um, but also, you know, any goal that you have that can be broken down into into steps that you can practice, uh, you know, we're going to have those too. Yeah. And what else? It's got a website. It's got an iPhone app. Shortly, it might have an Android app. Okay. You guys have, have that to, work in the works then? I actually, yeah, we have a couple hundred people using it right now. Oh, cool. We're getting ready to to launch it. Um, now, I, I take it so, that the, the app works well in web browsers, so people who are on Android phones right now could probably use it? Yep, absolutely. Cool. Um, and I really like the community around it and how, like, you can follow people and be friends with them and then give them props. And also how the yep. app will tell me, like, props if you do one of your habits today. So have, have you ever thought about the concept of, of allowing people who are friends with each other to kind of, like, give uh, give, like, a little motivational bump to somebody, one of their friends that they have seen hasn't hasn't done the habit for the day? A little nudge. Yeah. We have done, we have done experiments with um, accountability, essentially. And it works. It definitely works. I think we're, that's like, uh, you know, maybe two, maybe revision after next, like the big version after next. We're going to get these plans in and... Uh, then right now, I think there's just a lot of lightweight accountability going on right now. It's actually pretty effective just even to think your friends might notice mm-hmm. that uh, for people that are sensitive to accountability, they use Lyft and they think, well, you know, I better check in today because I know that, that you know, people are watching me. I mean, personally, I feel that with I have a couple of family members that use Lyft with me. And I just know, like, you know, if I don't if I don't eat my vegetables today, my mom is going to notice and, you know, let me know. <laughs> okay. I think for certain people, they need the actual feedback, though. Uh, for me, I've I've done kind of like accountability situations, uh, setups where I'll t- talk to a friend and be like, all right, if I don't get this written by this date, then I'm going to give you $10 or something. And um, the times that they've actually checked in, and made sure I'm on track. I'm very motivated. The times where they forget, I also forget and I'm not motivated anymore. Right. You're so basically had... <laughs> bribing them to be your your reminder system. Yeah. I had one friend where we did it where, you know, we both had a project we wanted to do. So we said, uh, you know, whoever doesn't get the project done by this date has to pay the other person 30 bucks. And neither of us got the project done. So we just said, eh, I guess the deal's <laughs> off. And in hindsight, that didn't really do anything for us because... Uh, there was there was no consequence if both of us didn't do anything. So there uh, there needs to be some sort of actual accountability that happens no matter what. And I know yeah. you guys aren't really interested in um, negative like you know punishments for not getting things done. But the uh, the idea of having your your friends be able to give you a little nudge is uh, really interesting. You like to me. that one, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a good idea for sure. Um, yeah. No, I, I think. I think Lyft could be really helpful for a lot of your listeners, but you know, hopefully, if we can get a plan from you, I think that's like that's the key way that uh, it would just be great to get you know take your advice, your knowledge, your expertise, and break that down to you know day by day instruction. 
Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, and I really like that idea of creating a plan for kind of the baby step way for setting good goals that can kind of set the tone for how you go about your college career. So I will get to work on that. All right, right on. Cool. Well, do you have any last piece of advice that you would like to um, say to uh, up-and-coming college students before we close the conversation? You know, <laughs> just the same message that I, I give everyone is like, when you look into it, when you when you are when you actually look at what it takes to be successful, it's really really accessible. It's way more possible than you ever realized, and uh, and so I just know that so many people are sitting at home going, you know, I could never do that. But the reality is, if if you if someone shares the path with you and you're willing to put a month in a weekend, maybe a year, maybe even a couple of years sometimes, like absolutely you're going to be able to achieve whatever it is that you set out to do. Awesome. That is a great piece of advice. Cool. So um, if people want to connect with you or, or read more of your, of the things that come out of your mind, where should they go? I think they should just go to our website, lift.do, lift.do, okay. or they could email me. I'm Tony at lift.do. Awesome. And then do you have like Twitter or anything or a blog or yes. anything they should follow? We're at Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, Lyft app. Follow us on Facebook, Lyft app. But really you get all that stuff if you go if you go to the uh, the website. Cool. And I will link to your uh, your Medium blog as well because I've seen some really cool posts on there as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks all for right. coming on the show and for all the, you know, the great conversation and insights. And I will get to work on a plan because I think that's going to turn out really well. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tony and hope you learned something new and got the motivation to start using Lyft because it's definitely an awesome app and I've really enjoyed using it um, for the time that I've been using it. So once again, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, sigpodcast.com, click on that episode 16 listing and you can find the links to everything we mentioned in this episode along with uh, links to follow Tony on Twitter and get signed up on Lyft if you are interested in doing that. Other than that, if you liked this episode, if you've been enjoying the podcast, I would absolutely appreciate it so much if you can go on iTunes and either leave a rating or a review for this podcast. It helps it rank up in the rankings and get more listeners and more people, uh, more students just like you who want to learn more about how to be awesome at college. And also it just kind of helps me get some feedback. So if there's something you don't like, let me know. If you like it, let me know too. That makes me feel great. Um, So thank you for that if you do that. Otherwise... Have an awesome day and look out for a new podcast episode coming very soon. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.